But what would happen is about maybe every two or three weeks, maybe once a month, one of my uncles would show up wherever I was staying and make me go down to the payphone and call my grandma. And I'd ask him, man, why do I got to call grandma? And they said, man, because she calls every hospital, every jail and every institution first thing in the morning. And she calls all of us. And then she calls all your friends. Has anybody seen Jason? Anybody know where Jason is? Is Jason alive? Could somebody please go find Jason? So you need to call her and let her know you're okay. So she'll leave us alone. You know, and, and I would make that phone call. I think it was 10 cents back then or 25 cents to make a pay phone call. And I call my grandma and I tell her, man, grandma, I'm doing really good. I'm working out of town. I have a great job, you know, and, and I'll come see you when I come back to town or I'd come see you tomorrow. And uh, she'd tell me she loved me and all that. And, you know, I would get off that phone with all the intentions of going to see my grandma maybe the next day. But what happened is I'd start drinking. Right. And then I can justify and rationalize why I don't go. Because when, when I have alcohol in my body, my best thinking is if I don't, if I'm not seeing you in person, I'm not lying to you or cheating from to you or stealing. Right. And, and that's how I justify that. Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic, and we are glad you are all here, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery as a whole and newcomers to this podcast. Sober Speak is a podcast about recovery centered around the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. My job here on Sober Speak is simple. My job is to provide a platform to the amazing stories of recovery all around us. Consider Sober Speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Please remember, we do not speak for AA or any 12-step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride Take what you want and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. Hola, compadres, and greetings from Studio AA Deep in the heart of Texas. That was the voice of Mr. Jason J that you heard at the beginning of this here episode. Episode number 316, Trace Uno Seis of Sober Speak. And we are so glad you have joined us. You're going to hear so much more from Jason J in a moment. But first things first, this here episode is going out to and being sponsored by Randy and David and Kate and, and Idaliza and Marie. What? You may ask yourself, did Randy and David and Kate and Idaliza and Marie do? Well, they went to our humble little website, www.soberspeak.com. They clicked on that little yellow donate tab and they made a contribution. They may have done some other stuff while they were there at the website. I don't know, but I know they did this. So thank you so much, Randy. Every time I say the word Randy or that name, Randy, I think of uh, like, uh, I think it was Austin Powers or something. He goes, I'm feeling Randy today, baby. Anyway, Randy and David and Kate and Idaliza and Marie, this here episode is coming right out to Ewan's. So what are you up to today? What are you, what, what are you doing right now? I'm always curious. Uh, a lot of people will tell me what they're doing when they write in. By the way, if you want to write in, it's at John, J-O-H-N at SoberSpeak.com. I'd love to hear from you about uh, people that have helped you in sobriety, what your journey has been like. Uh, and I say sobriety, it could be recovery, right? I know a lot of people outside of Alcoholics Anonymous, just interested in the 12 steps, listen to this as well. But, uh, a lot of times when people write in, they'll tell me what they're doing. Are you, are you driving today? Uh, and now don't write me while you're driving, but, uh, are you, a, a lot of people I hear they're, they're cleaning the house. Um, maybe they're working out, they're at the gym or, uh, maybe you're on the way to a meeting. And you're trying to figure out something really intelligent to say <laughs> when you get to the meeting, make you sound really spiritual. I would never do something like that, but 
but I have heard of other people that would be as shallow as that. Uh, perhaps you're on a plane. A lot of people write me when they're on a plane, train, automobile, something like that. Anyway, uh, uh, a lot of folks I know are walking their dogs. I, I started to say walking a pet, but for the most part, I think every time somebody has written in, they've been walking their dog. Uh, perhaps you are uh, incarcerated right now and you're just passing the time. So whatever you're doing, uh, I don't know why you joined us today, but I am so, like I said last week, I am ecstatic that you have joined us and you're listening in and spending a little bit of time with me. I know you have so, so many things to do. Uh, there are so many other things you could be doing with your time. And the fact that you join us here on my Oh, my piddly little podcast, uh, it makes me, uh, it, I, I'm just very happy about that. And, and I really, really do appreciate you. I've had a, uh, interesting last couple of weeks. Um, I, you know, I've been going back through some amends. There are some amends that I don't know, I just kind of skipped over when I first got sober, but it's one of those things like whenever the number nine comes up or I'm thinking about amends or it comes up in a meeting, I'll, I'll just get these little, I don't know if you call them God shots or nudges, right? About some particular amends that I need to be doing that, uh, maybe I didn't think were so important back in the day, but uh, there, there, there's a couple of things I've done recently. Uh, one was, okay, so in, in our house, we have a shower, right? And about I don't know, 12 years ago or so, probably longer than that, the shower quit working. And so I, I called up, so it was the Moen, right? The, the, the plumbing people, if you're in the United States, you're probably familiar with the Moen people. I, they're, they're actually, they may be international. Heck, I don't know. But anyway, um, so uh, I called them up one day and I said, well, my shower, it wasn't the actual shower head, but it's the inner workings of the shower. I'm, I'm such not a handy dandy guy. I, I don't even know how to explain it, but it was the inner workings of the shower that was making it not work. So I called them up and I said, hi, Moen, uh, this is John M. <laughs> well, I didn't probably didn't say that at the time. I have no idea. But they asked me who my, you know, my name and my address and all that sort of stuff. And then they said to me, they said, um, uh, okay, thanks for calling in. And I, and I knew where they were going when they asked this question. They said, are you, John M., the original owner of the home? And I paused uh, and I wasn't the original owner of the home, but I knew if you were the original owner of the home, well, then you got free replacements, whatever you want, right? So you're you're covered. So they said, are you the original owner of the home? And I paused and then I said, why, yes, I'm the original owner owner of the home. Why do you ask? And then they told me the reason and they sent me the part. So every time I get in there to take that shower, <laughs> look at that thing going, why did I say this? So I finally just called them up and I said, hi, Moen. Uh, my name is John M. This is my address. Uh, <sighs> do do you have re and so they didn't even have records of it because it was some so long ago. I think they, their records just went back six, seven years, something like that. And they didn't have a record of it. I said, okay, so here's what I'm trying to do, right? I, I'm trying, I'm trying to. Is there any way to figure out how much those parts would have made? I'd like to pay you back. And we went through this whole thing back and forth, and finally the lady just put me, <laughs> put me on hold, and and she. She called her supervisor. She said, listen, sir, I'm not sure what exactly is prompting this in your life. <laughs> but, and I said, well, I can tell you. She goes, no, 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 don't tell me. We're on a recorded line. <laughs> I don't think I, I said, I, I, I'm fine. She goes, no, 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 we're, I really, I don't want you going. <laughs> she was like looking out for me. I don't know. She, she, uh, 
anyway, so finally she's, I said, well, okay, th- th- they had no way of figuring out how much it is. And then she said to me, she said, uh, or, or I asked her, I said, well, is there like a, a favorite charity that Moen has that I could contribute some money to? And she was like, no, you know, I asked my supervisor the same thing, but there's not. She said, just give one to the charity of your choice. And so anyway, I went through that entire thing and uh um i, I don't know i at least my conscience is is pretty good about it right now um as another one so <laughs> i okay so i you know i i, I we're going to get to jason in a second and i'm sorry for somebody just fat, fast forward this thing if you don't want to hear all this stuff i get it and i hear this all the time uh, just get to the speaker, John M. I get it. But, you know, hey, it's my podcast, and it's my podcast, and I'll do what I want to, do what I want to, do what I want. You know, my uh, family can hear me out in the other room right now, and they're probably going, what in the heck is he doing? But nonetheless, so, uh, oh, there was another one where I... um. Okay, so I, the the former company that I that I worked for, they um, when I left them uh, a couple years ago or so. If you've ever been through this with the technology, right? They send you the boxes, and then you got to send all your stuff in. Well, I I I kind of kept a. Uh, a mobile phone. Now I hadn't used it since I kept it, but I go I went ahead and kept it. And so, oh, they had sent me an email saying, "Hey, we didn't see the mobile phone in the box." And then I never replied to them. And finally, I, you know, so just recently, I so I I sent them a message and I said, "Hey," well, I, I mean, I didn't say "Hey" in the message. I just said. Hey, listen, uh, I found the phone, you know, I want to get it back to you because I was tired of thinking about it. And so, and now you, you're not going to believe this. And now it's like a, uh, how do I put this? Uh, they're, they, they, they send me, uh, it's just been a, a horrible process just getting one phone back to them. I'm like, Hey guys, I was doing you a favor here. You know, I shouldn't have to go through all this, but anyway, I'm going to get the phone back to them and, and we should be good. Okay, so um, another thing. I, this morning, I'm recording this on a Saturday, and I, this morning, uh, woke up in fear covering me, and I actually went to bed with it last night. And I'm, you know, I I think about whether I should even talk about these things or not, but, uh, you know, what do the kids say nowadays? I'm I'm keeping it real, right? Just because I have a podcast doesn't mean life uh bypasses me uh and and i've talked about this a little bit in some other episodes and i i never brought this up before the last couple three weeks whatever it was but uh um it's a hundred percent job related uh employment related and uh i'm going through some situations that i've never been through in my entire life where job is employment is concerned and um, it's really, um, and, and here's the reason I bring it up, right? I, I realize this is not employment anonymous or financial anonymous or whatever. This is Alcoholics Anonymous. However, what this has done for me is this has forced me back into um, looking inside and looking inside of me and saying, okay, where is this fear coming from? Where is this anxiety coming from? What's going on within you that you haven't looked at that is causing you not to trust the God of your understanding moving forward? What is this? So I've had all that exploration going on. And I've also been kind of practicing living in the now and doing the best I can with right now and just paying attention to the facts, what exactly is going on uh, and not getting too far out into the future. And I, I can't be the only one that goes through this. You know, I know that. Um, I, I went to a meeting this morning and there was another gentleman, I'm not going to say his name, but he, he was talking about being let go from a, a job uh, a, a couple months ago. 
and what he had to go through with that and, and what it meant to him. I, I talked to my friend Alan B. sometimes, and, and if you heard his episode, you know, he's going through a, a whole lot more than I am right now. He's going through a divorce and, and, and it's, you know, just not real pleasant. And so everyone has their time at going through these periods. And I'm just trying to stay alert and figure out what exactly it is do I need to learn during this period in my life? Because quite honestly, it's kind of scary. Um, at that other meeting, at that meeting I was talking about this morning, Mary Lynn, my friend, Mary Lynn, she said during that, during that, um, uh, during the uh, a meeting that it's best to, to keep focusing on the things that bring us joy and not to focus on those things that are not bringing us joy. And, you know, Dr. Paul says it in the back of the book, you know, the, the more we focus on the problem, the problem gets bigger. The more you focus on the solution, the solution gets bigger, however you want to look at it. But that made me think, you know, I need to go in here and record an episode today. And be upfront and honest about everything that's going on with me and just kind of take it a step at a time, a day at a time, just like all of us are. So anyway, thanks for letting me get that off my chest, everybody. <laughs> I feel better already. All right. Okay, so today the featured guest is Mr. Jason J. Part one. And we're calling part one of Jason J. Women Caffeine and sugar. <laughs> uh, Jason is from uh, Portland, Oregon. He has been sober since 2007. We discuss Jason's life with a hippie mom, uh, the relationship with his grandmother and his grandfather, his grandma and his grandpa, and what a savior they turned out to be in his life. His response to the teacher when they asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? You have to listen to that. Uh, his experience at a cool, his experience at robbing, <laughs> robbing, yes, R-O-B-B-I-N-G, robbing a Kool-Aid stand when he was younger. Oh, that would have been even more interesting if he was uh, uh, an adult. But anyway, uh, his motorcycle accident, how that turned out, his experience in treatment, and how he met his dad at his first AA meeting. Did you hear that? He met his father at his first AA meeting that he went to. He hadn't seen his father in years and he goes through that experience. Anyway, you'll notice an abrupt stop at the end of the episode with Jason meeting his dad. And then we pick it up with the remainder of Jason's story next week. You want to be sure to tune in for part two. So I present to you our featured guest of the week, Mr. Jason J. Enjoy Jason, and we will have plenty of listener feedback at the end of this here episode. Enjoy. Okay, everybody. So today we're sitting here. Uh, I've been looking really forward to this one for several reasons, uh, but we're sitting here with Jason J. of Portland, or, well, Jason, why don't, I, why don't you go ahead, introduce yourself, give your sobriety date if you wish, and tell people where you live in this great land of ours, please. All right. My name is Jason Jay, and I'm an alcoholic. My sobriety date's 11.30.07. I live right outside of Portland, Oregon, in a place called uh, Carver, Oregon. It's a little tiny town, about 20 minutes east towards Mount Hood from uh, Portland. Is that Carver? C-A-R-V-E-R? Carver? Yeah. But everybody just says I'm from Happy Valley or I, or Portland. It's just easier that way because if you say Carver people, it's not even on the map. <laughs> it's like a bridge with a restaurant. <laughs> if we were just talking a little bit before we started here, we have a uh, kind of in common a friend. I guess he's a, your sponsor. So tell everybody who your sponsor is so we can feed his ego a little All bit right. here. And uh, My sponsor is a guy named Carl M. out of Covina, California. He's a member of the 502 Club. Uh, I'm his favorite. I mean, if I'm self-appointed, I'm self-appointed, but I'm his favorite. But if you were to, if you were to know him or ask him anything about me, I go by, he calls me for Christ's sakes, Jason, right? So that's about where we're at in that relationship. 
for christ's sakes jason <laughs> yeah so he he i know he knows bill c and all that and i don't know if you know about some of these other people who've been on the podcast before but bill c is out there in that area steve l just, is also just, in that I area had, i just invited steve to come speak at my birthday in november oh cool yeah, and he cool. was with bill there at him i just did a men's retreat with steve and carl a couple about a oh, months okay. ago, so yeah. where did you go we were in, well, we went to South Carolina and we ended up doing it in Maryland. And Wait a sec. Was, was the, are you saying the, the retreat was in South Carolina and Maryland moving around? We, we went to South Carolina about seven days before that to golf, a bunch of us. And then we drove up to this men's retreat. But there was everybody that was in the golf thing is in AA. And so we just, uh, we played golf, and then mm-hmm. Carl and I drove up to Maryland, or flew up to Maryland, and then we did the retreat up there with Steve. Now, you weren't the guy that he shot below him no, at no. that. He got shot. Steve got shot by his own sponsee, right? That, that makes his story <laughs> Oh, yeah, Steve better. got shot. Yeah, that's a right. retreat by his sponsee. So that, that makes AA even better, right? <laughs> he had a great story, but once that happened, he, it became phenomenal for me. <laughs> oh that's right i remember and for those who what was that story again so basically he was getting dressed or something like that and like from up above a a, a bullet came through the floorboard right he was he was a uh, retreat master so he was leaving the retreat and it was a break time and he was in his room down below doing whatever and all of a sudden he felt this pain and a shot came through the floor and it went right through and it lodged Kind of by his uh, heart, I think, or right in there, right by his sternum or something like that. So it's the bullet's still in him. Wow. Yeah. In that wild. But it was one of his sponsees that was cleaning his gun. I don't know. I don't know <laughs> if he's cleaning his gun. I don't I don't know. I don't know who even brings a gun to a, a, a men's retreat, but so be it, right? <laughs> and the other story I like that Steve tells is about the time where he had to go in and get some surgery or something like that. And basically he was hoping for a little of the good stuff, but the good stuff like works really quick nowadays. You, you don't even get that, you know, 10 seconds of uh, feeling it. <laughs> All right. So, um, well, but let's go ahead and turn a corner, okay. uh, and get into Jason here. So like you said, you, you're up in Portland. Have you always lived in Portland? Yeah, I grew up in Portland all my life. So I've been, I, I've, I've been in a, I've lived in a couple other States, but in another country for maybe a couple months at a time, but nothing long-term. Always important. Gotcha. All right. So let's talk about, I, why don't you start your story where you want to start it, right? where you grew up, wherever you, you want to talk about your family, just kind of go into your story and, and I'll stop you every once in a while. I'll ask some questions. All right. So here's how, here's how it went. You know, my mom and dad got divorced when I was really young. My uh, dad would take off. I was just a little guy and uh, my mom was a hippie. I used to say she was an old hippie, but she was actually only like 21 or 22. And uh, we lived up in the woods. Right. We lived in a, and, and, and look, I knew she was a hippie because they smelled like patchouli oil, right? All these people. And we <laughs> lived in, sometimes we lived in a teepee. A couple of times we lived in a cabin. One time I, we lived in a school bus before it was popular. Right. But, uh, I lived in this environment where my mom grew pot. I guess they call it cannabis. So somebody, I talked somewhere the other day and the guy says it's called cannabis, not pot. But back then my mom grew pot for a living. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we lived up with a bunch of other hippies up in the woods. And, uh, you know, I didn't know there was anything wrong with that as a little kid. At four or five years old, I didn't, I, I, I didn't know that was, there was other things, right? But the weird thing was, is I'd see my mom, you know, during the day, everybody got along. And at night, they would start drinking. And I'd see my mom get beat up on a regular basis, right? And, and I didn't, I knew, some, I felt uncomfortable, but I knew something was wrong with that. But I, I didn't know really, because the next morning, I'd see her hugging and telling the same man that beat her up she loved him. Right. So it, it didn't, that didn't make me an alcoholic or an addict. What it did is it, it, it gave me some skills in life. Right. When I started feeling that tension, I learned how to either deescalate it or run and hide. And that's what I would do. Right. And, uh, my life was like that till about the, you know, when I went into, I think I was getting ready to go into kindergarten. My mom moved into town and her house was, or our house was like a party house. You know, what I know today is one of those houses at two o'clock in the morning, there might be 30, 40 people there. Or at two o'clock in the morning as a little kid, I might be the only one there. Right. Again, I didn't know there was any leave it to beaver. I didn't know people had moms that read in books. I didn't, I didn't have that. Right. And, and again, I didn't know there was anything wrong with that. All I knew is when it got dark outside, I learned how to 
to survive, right? When it got dark outside, I pulled down all the blinds. I turned on all the lights. I turned the TV up really loud so that if somebody came to break in, they would think there was a party going on inside and they would kill the neighbors, right? And, and that was my goal as a little kid. I didn't, I didn't think nothing of it, right? <clears throat> but I know that my life changed when I was about, I was getting ready to go into the first grade. And I remember it being a Sunday evening and I was at home by myself, blinds down, lights on, TV blaring. And I was watching this show called Happy Days, right? And, and, and I was just minding my own business and the phone starts ringing. It's not like today where it goes to voicemail or and they rang until you gave up, right? Or till somebody answered it, right? <laughs> and so I'm saying, man, it just it rang all the way to commercial, right? And I answer the phone and uh, it's my grandma, right? And I don't know if there's, you know, my grandma is one of these people who was way too invested on what's going on in my life. She wanted to know if I'd taken a bath, if I got my clothes laid out, am I excited to go to school? All these things, right? And, and I remember just saying, yes, yes, because I was trying to get off the phone. And finally, I said, Grandma, my show's back on. I got to go. She said, sweetie, let me talk to your mom. I said, oh, my mom's not here. She's down at the tavern. The phone number's 50, or it was 282-4440. No 503 before that now, but back then it was only. <laughs> and uh, I said, this guy Floyd will answer the phone, ask for Darla, and she'll tell you, she'll come to the phone, and she's going to tell you she's having one more pitcher of beer. Right. And there was like a long pause on the phone, maybe four or five seconds. And I said, Grandma, I got to go. And she said, sweetie, give me that number again. And I gave it to her. And I remember her telling me, when, you're, when your show's over, I want you to go to bed. And when you get up to go to school in the morning, I want you to listen to what the teacher says and be nice to the other kids. And I said, all right. So now I'm watching this show called Laverne and Shirley, right? Because that's what came on next. <laughs> And, right, that came on right yeah. after Happy so Days. All of a sudden, I'm sitting there watching this show, and I hear a knock at the door, right? And I kind of freeze a little bit, and then they start beating on the door, man, and I panic, and I crawl underneath the end table because I don't know, right? And then they start beating on the window, and I, I, I know for sure I'm going to die, right? And all of a sudden, I hear this Jason, it's Grandma, open the door. And I remember just getting relief, you know, just like, oh, yeah, Grandma's here. And I, remember, I went to that door, and I opened it up. And she didn't look like my grandma. She looked like she'd been crying. She looked kind of, she just didn't look like, you know, what grandma usually looks like. And she said, sweetie, get your stuff. You're coming to live at my house. And man, that's when my life changed dramatically, right? Because when you go to grandma's house, there's Rice Krispie treats, there's homemade cookies, there's sheets <laughs> on the bed that pillows match the sheets. But most importantly, there's somebody there all the time, right? That's not a hard sell for a little kid's. So I grabbed my little bit of stuff. And I jump in her car and I remember we we're headed to her house and I remember we got to the house and I'm running through the front door, you know, headed to the kitchen because that's where the food is. And I'm running through the front room and I hear this, hey, and I turn around. It's my grandpa. He's like, man, what are you doing here? I was like, man, I live here now. Right. I didn't know. I didn't know my grandma <laughs> didn't run it by him. Right. I found out later. She didn't ask him. She just went and got me. And uh, I just remember him looking right at me. He says, yeah, you do, buddy. Come here. And I, he, I went over and I gave him a hug and I fell asleep on that man's lap every night for the next four or five years because he made mm. me feel safe. Right. And look. I'm on your, I'm on your podcast. So I wasn't an easy kid, right? I, I'm the, I'm the kind of kid, like I remember this, I was telling the story. I remember being in the third grade, right? And uh, they were doing this thing called career day and everybody was going to dress up what they wanted to be when they grew up on Friday. And it was like a Wednesday. And I remember we were going around in our class and our, my teacher's asking everybody, what do you want to be? And there's people want to be president of the United States, police officers, firemen, doctors, lawyers. And I remember she got to me, she said, Jason, what would you like to be when you grow up? And I said, a bank robber, right? And, and I just remember that I just, the look on this lady's face, I would see it over in the rest of my life. It was just like, you gotta be kidding me, right? And it was, the funny thing was, is two of my friends changed occupations. One of them wanted to be president of the United States. Now he wanted to join my gang, right? And I, and I remember I got sent home with this letter and uh, I came back and obviously I wasn't a bank robber that Friday. I was a rodeo clown, but that's a whole nother story. But, you know, I, I remember that weekend sitting on the, uh, out in the, underneath the apple tree at my grandparents' house. And I was talking to my friend Stevie and we were talking about what we were going to be when we grow up. And he goes, I heard you want to be a bank robber. I said, yeah. And he said, uh, I said, but there's no banks on our block to practice with, right? He goes, yeah, but there's, <laughs> there was a Kool-Aid stand, right? And I said, yeah, there is. And so I went and got me a BB gun and a bandana and a cowboy hat. And I rode my uh, bike up to this Kool-Aid stand, right? And I robbed it. And uh, uh, wait, wait a second. Yeah. You robbed the Kool-Aid stand? Yeah, look, if you're going to be, I'll give you some advice on robbing Kool-Aid. I used to say that was my first Kool-Aid stand, but it was my only Kool-Aid stand, right? And, and if, <laughs> if you're listening to thinking you're going to rob Kool-Aid stands, here's the big thing. They don't have any money, right? They just have Kool-Aid. And, 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 you know, and, I, and I watched TV as a little kid, and so I knew what to do. And I, if they didn't have any money, I just took a kid hostage. And I said, I'm going to tie him up in my clothesline pool. And when you guys go get your piggy banks, bring me your money. 
and I'll let your friend go, right? And I remember <laughs> oh I took him God. home and I tied him up to my clothesline stand and, and uh, outside. And I remember at five o'clock at my grandma's house, so she yelled dinner, it's dinner, right? And if you don't go eat, you don't eat, right? And so I hear this dinner. So I tell this young man, hey, man, I, I got to go. I'll be back in about 20 <laughs> minutes. I got to eat dinner. And uh, I put my BB gun and my bandana down next to him. And, and I went inside and, I, and, and we're eating and everything was fine until a police officer arrived, right? And in, in, in the 80s or 70s, late 70s, when an officer arrived at a house, the whole neighborhood showed up, right? So all my neighbors are in this backyard, my grandparents are in the backyard, this kid's crying, he's tied up to the clothesline pole. And I remember I'm trying to explain to my grandma, hey, the knots wouldn't be so tight if he wasn't squirming around, right? I was trying to put the blame <laughs> on him. And I remember my grandpa <laughs> just starts laughing like you are, right? He's just, and my, that just set my grandma off. And she goes, what is so funny? And he goes, man, you just can't make this up, right? And that sent her over the top. And I remember her up. All I remember is her saying, get in the house. You're grounded in the house for a month. I'd never been grounded before, so I started crying, right? And that's where my grandpa and I's relationship changed. He said, hold on a second. And he took my grandma behind the house, and he uh, did because he don't argue. Back in those days, he didn't argue in public, I guess, right? And so they went back, and they did what they had to do. And he came back out, and he said, hey, here's the deal, buddy. He said, I didn't tie that young man up to the clothesline pole, so there's no need to you know, punish me by grounding you to the inside of the house for a month. You're grounded to the block, right? And right then, man, he just became my hero, right? He was like my attorney, but, you know, and, and, I, and he taught me how when you get in trouble, you just can share in a general way. But here's what happened with that gentleman, right? What I found out as I got older, he became a problem, right? And I didn't think he liked me because what I know today is he was just a decent man, right? He was a good person and went to work, did his stuff. He's the kind of guy that if you dropped a quarter on the ground and he knew it was yours, he'd spend a dollar to get it back to you. And as, as, as mm -hmm. I got older, he would turn me in, tell the judge where I worked, you know what I mean? If the police came looking for me, he'd point at them in the right direction. And I, as a, as a young man, I thought that was because he didn't like me, right? And I thought, you know, because I was forced in their house. Um, the relationship with my grandma, I just remember, look, she would dry, drop me off somewhere and, and, you know, like Sunday school and say, hey, he's got an enthusiasm for life. And she'd take off. My grandpa, on the other hand, he'd drop me off somewhere and say, look, don't let his cuteness get in the way of your common sense, right? He's either <laughs> going to be getting in trouble or talking his way out of trouble. That's all you need to know. Right. But I, as a kid, I thought my grandma felt sorry for me. Right. As a, you know, when you're in the fourth or fifth grade and if I had a soccer game or a baseball game, everybody showed up All my family. If somebody went, one of my aunts and uncles went camping or to, on vacation, they had to take me. Right. And I just knew that was because my grandma made them. But what happened is I remember I, I just got into the sixth grade and it was middle school and we started taking these buses. We had to get bus to a school. And I remember I'd been in school for about three months and I just got kicked off the school bus and, and so I'm walking out of school and I see my grandma coming and I think, wow, she's here to give me a ride home, right? Because she knows I got kicked off. And she says, sweetie, we need to go inside and talk to some people. And I said, okay. And I remember we walked into this room and there was like a round table and there was like a teacher, a couple of my teachers, a couple of counselors, a principal and a lady from a special needs school sitting on one side and two chairs. And I remember we sat down and, you know, they proceeded to tell my grandma everything I'd done wrong in the last three months, that I had no self-control, that I hit other kids, that I lied, that I, you know, I just didn't respect anybody. Uh, and, and most importantly, that I couldn't read or write at that level, right? And I remember my grandma just sitting there not doing anything. And I remember thinking to myself, man, she needs to say something, right? But she just sat there and listened. And, it, and she had that same look on her face as she did when she picked me up at my house that, when I was a little kid. And... uh when they got done, she goes, may I say something? And they said, sure. She said, look, I'm not going to deny anything that Jason did any of those things. He lives at my house and he's a tough kid. I know it. He goes, but she goes, but he's a good kid and there's a good person inside of there. The reason I know this is every morning when he goes down to Mrs. Harrington's house, he throws her newspaper up on the front porch so she doesn't have to come down the stairs. And the young man, Shane, who's simple minded, every time I see him at church on Sunday or the grocery store, the first thing he asks is, where's Jason? Because Jason, nobody picks on him when Jason's around. And when they play sports, Jason always picks him first for his team. Nobody told Jason to do those things. He just did them, right? So I know there's a good person inside of there. It's our responsibility to tap into that. You know, and, and I end up having my best year of school. I didn't get kicked out. I end up having my best year. But I remember leaving that office and walking down that hallway. I can still see the light and everything. Looking up at my grandma for the first time in my life, believing somebody loved me, right? That somebody cared enough to stick up for me, right? And to that point, up to that point, man, I just thought I was existing, right? And that lady became my best friend. Anywhere she went, I went. Anything she did, I did. And, and, and I loved her with all my heart. You know, uh, 
that same, you know, that same in the sixth grade, you know, that kid, Sean, I tied up to the clothesline pole. He ended up becoming one of my best friends, right? And I guess I took him hostage, right? And he, you know what I mean? Maybe I need Alan on. I don't know. But we, 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 it was a Friday night. And in, in Portland, man, you only sleep in the backyard a couple nights a year. It's not like, well, lately we have been having good weather. But it seemed like when I was a kid, it was only nice every once in a while. And I remember it being a Friday night. And uh, we went over to sleep in my friend Leif's backyard, Sean and I. And I remember we're in the backyard doing whatever you do as little kids. And Leif's mom comes out and says, hey, the, young, the adults are going to go bowling. We put, we ordered you guys a pizza. There's $10 on the counter. Pay the pizza guy when he gets here and stay in the house, right? Or in the yard. And we're like, okay. And, you know, the pizza came, we paid him. And right when we get ready to eat the pizza, my friend Leif says, hey, pizza tastes better with beer. I never, I never drank beer before that I remember, but I said, yes, it does. And he went downstairs <laughs> and he got this case of Lucky Lager beer. Man, it was nasty, right? Some people say that when they take that first drink, they have that aha feeling. Man, I just had to plug my nose and hang in there, right? And and I remember, uh, you know, drinking, you know, we're out in the backyard throwing rocks at cars or whatever you do as kids, right? You know, and and man, I just got started getting sick as a dog. And I I told my buddies, hey, man, I think I got food poisoning. And uh, they go, what? I said, yeah, I just don't, I don't, I don't think there's something wrong with that pizza. So I rode my bike home, which I was told later on, that was probably my first DUI, right? And I rode home and and I get home and I, and I, when I go into the house and I remember I told my grandma I don't feel good and she just looked at me with disgust and I went into my room and I'm sick all night, right? I mean, there's no anything, right? I'm just sick and, and, I, and I haven't been that sick that I know of ever, right? And the next thing I know, morning comes and there's my grandpa, right? And he's sitting at the end of my bed and he's yelling, get up, you got to go to work. I was like, man, I don't feel good, man. And he goes, get up, you're going to go to work. I said, I don't have a job. I'm in the sixth grade, man. What's going on? <laughs> And he said to me, if you're going to drink like a big boy, you're going to work like a big boy. Now let's go. And yeah. I thought for sure my grandma would save me. But as we're walking out the door, she handed me this warm egg salad sandwich and a thermos of warm milk and told me have a great day. Right. <laughs> and, and, and we went and we picked up Leif and Sean, who looked just as bad as I did. And my grandpa took us to pick strawberries. Uh, oh. It's against the law for minors to pick strawberries in the state of Oregon. <laughs> and somebody should be thanking me for that, right? Because I made, I made like 27 cents all day. I got sick. I picked strawberries. I got sick. I picked strawberries. And I remember looking at my grandpa sitting on the back of his truck, drinking his coffee, reading his Oregonian and laughing, right? And I, just, I remember looking at my friends and I said, man, I'm not drinking alcohol anymore. And they said, why is that? I, they said, you don't like the alcohol? I said, man, I don't, I don't mind the alcohol. I just don't want to work. Right. I'm done with this picking strawberry thing. So I quit cold turkey. No AA, no 12 steps, no treatment. I just stopped. Right. And, uh, but here's what happened because of, because of the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous and the 12 step program, I, I realized this is where the allergy and the obsession kicked in for me. Right. Because when I got to high school, man, uh, we drank on the weekends. We played sports during the week and we drank on the weekends. And, and what I know is why the obsession was there because I realized now I was saving my lunch money on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, pitching it in with some other guys and shoulder tapping. And we drink, we'd go get some booze and we'd drink on the weekends and we'd play sports on the weekdays. And nobody was going to jail. Nobody's, you know, dying of a heroin overdose. We we're just having fun, right? And that's how my life was, you know, until, Probably May 5th, 1989. Uh, this is where Carl and I, Carl says, I have to tell you the truth, Michael. And he's, <laughs> I stole a motorcycle. I used to say I borrowed it. It sounded better, right? <laughs> I stole just motorcycle and I got in a high speed chase and I, uh, I crashed and I woke up in a ICU up on the hill in Portland and, uh, at this hospital. And, you know, it's one of those rooms that just has a sliding glass door and there's nobody in it but you. And, and I didn't know what happened. So I started yelling, I'm alive. And this lady comes in and says, we know you're alive. And I, and I asked her if what was, go- what happened? She said, you were in a drunk driving accident on a motorcycle. I said, I don't own a motorcycle. She said, we know, and, you know, and I was like, well, <laughs> am I going to live or am I going to die? She says, you, uh, you're going to live, but you might lose your left leg. And I remember thinking, and she said, if you don't lose your left leg, you'll never walk normal again. And I remember thinking, man, I'm all right with that. Right. As long as I don't die, all I know today is I don't have to drink or put anything in my body. And what happened is when I got out of that hospital, all I know how to do is medicate, right? All I know how to do to kill that anxiety, that fear, and that shame is to put alcohol in my body. And what I did is I just kept lowering my standards to keep up with my quality of my life, right? So that eventually I'm living in this abandoned house. It's somebody's uncle's house until the police come and then nobody knows whose house it is, right? It's one of those houses that has no power, (laughs) no water, you know, and it's just an in and out. And 
you know, and I thought that was normal, right? I, I'm alcohol made that okay, right? Those decisions and where I live made that okay. But what would happen is about maybe every two or three weeks, maybe once a month, one of my uncles would show up wherever I was staying and make me go down to the payphone and call my grandma. And I'd ask him, man, why do I got to call grandma? And they said, man, because she calls every hospital, every jail, and every institution first thing in the morning. And she calls all of us. And then she calls all your friends. Has anybody seen Jason? Anybody know where Jason is? Is Jason alive? Could somebody please go find Jason? So you need to call her and let her know you're okay so she'll leave us alone. You know, and, and I would make that phone call. I think it was 10 cents back then or 25 cents to make a pay phone call. And I call my grandma and I tell her, man, grandma, I'm doing really good. I'm working out of town. I have a great job, you know, and, and I'll come see you when I come back to town or I'd come see you tomorrow. And uh, she'd tell me she loved me and all that. And, you know, I would get off that phone with all the intentions to go and see my grandma maybe the next day. But what happened is I'd start drinking, right? And then I can justify and rationalize why I don't go. Because when, when I have alcohol in my body, my best thinking is if, I don't, if I'm not seeing you in person, I'm not lying to you or cheating from, to you or stealing, right? And, and that's how I justify that. Alcohol made that okay and I wouldn't show up. And I, and I did that. I mean, every once in a while I'd go show up because I needed $5 or whatever that was to make my life a little bit better. But I, uh, I didn't care, right? I mean, I, when I put alcohol in my body, I, I trade everything away. And what happened is, you know, that would go on and on like that. And then on December 5th, 19, uh, 1997, it was about December 3rd, December 4th, one of my uncle, Leroy, who's a big biker guy, showed up at my tent. I had got kicked out of a banded house and had to sleep in the backyard in a tent because my life was going so great. And, uh, <laughs> you know, he shows up at my tent and he lets me know that my grandma had been in ICU for a couple of weeks and, uh, and they took her off of life support. And maybe I should come up and say goodbye. And I told him, man, I don't think I should go. He said, I'm, I'm not asking you if you should go. He said, I'm telling you, you should go. So get your stuff and let's go. And he's a bigger guy than me, right? And, and I was kind of, you know, strung out and probably wasn't willing to fight anything. And so I said, okay. And I remember getting in his truck. And as soon as I got in his truck, he handed me a, a pint of vodka and told me, drink this, chug it up. And I remember chugging that vodka and, and getting to that hospital. It's one of these ones where you go up to the first floor where the ICU is. And when you get off the elevator, like I have a big family. So they're all on one side of the room. And because only two or three people can go into this, this uh, room at a time, right? Everybody else has to sit out there. And people have traveled from all over the country to come see my grandma. And I get off that elevator, man. And I already know that I'm a piece of crap. It's not going to amount to anything, right? I, I, I realize, look, I always tell people, this is how I can describe it. If I was at a family reunion or a family outing or any kind of barbecue and a, a commercial came on for treatment, everybody would stop what they were doing and come and look straight at me, right? That's, <laughs> oh, so no. I know I'm, but, but you know what? alcohol makes that okay, right? When, when, if I can put something in my body, I can justify my problems and my actions. And so when I got off that elevator, I didn't go say hi to anybody. I went and sat on the other side of the room because I don't need anybody to tell me I'm a piece of shit. I already know that, right? And I'm okay with that. I've come to the conclusion that's what I've been dealt with. That's what my life is from day one. I'm all right with that. My mom didn't even come over and say anything to me. And finally, my aunt came over and she said, you need to get in there and say goodbye and get out of here. And I said, okay. And I remember going into this room and my uncle Gary, and my uncle John, I think were in there, my uncle Gary for sure. And I remember coming in and my uncle Gary said to me, he said, man, just talk to her like she's here. She hasn't been awake all day and she hasn't opened her eyes, but just hold her hand and talk to her like she's here. And, and don't worry about how long it takes, take as long as you want. And I said, okay. And I sat down and, you know, I held her hand and I started talking to her and, and telling her I love her. And all of a sudden she opens her eyes and she, she starts talking back to me. And what happened was when that happened, everybody rushed the room, right? Because people have flown from all over and I panicked, right? I didn't know what to do. And I just told her, Grandma, I'm doing really good. I have a great job, but there's a lot of people here that would like to see you. I'll come back tomorrow and visit you when everybody else has had a chance. And she said, okay. And she told me she loved me and that she would be praying for me. And I told her, you know, and I did what I had to do. I kissed her on the cheek and I started leaving. As I'm walking out, she told my uncle Gary, he's a good kid. You watch, he's gonna do something with his life. He will. And I remember just feeling worthless, right? Like how can, why doesn't she just give up on me, man? I've given up on me, why don't you? And I went back to my tent and I drank like you drink, right? And a couple of days later, my uncle Dale showed up at my tent and. Let me, though my, let me know that my grandma had passed and that he would, uh, his family would pick me up and take me to the memorial, right? And I remember that day came and, and I didn't know what to do. So I got a bottle of Goldschlager and some Jägermeister and I hid in a closet in a banded house and drank and I didn't come out. 
right? And I could hear mm -hmm. them beating on the windows and knocking on the doors telling me, come on, you're going to regret this the rest of your life. It's not that big of a deal. Don't worry about what other people think. But when I put alcohol in my body, I give away everything that has any value, right? And I didn't show, you know, and, you know, the next two weeks after that, man, I was, I was just miserable, right? You know what I mean? I don't know if you've been in that spot where you, you're just locked up, right? Where you, you, you just don't, man, I'm not, I'm not locked up physically. I'm locked up mentally, right? And, and I just have no hope. And it was a Sunday morning. It was like four o'clock in the morning and, and I didn't know what to do. And I called my uncle Gary Collect because we grew up in the same house. He's like seven years older than me. He's, a, he's like a brother, right? And I knew he was going to beat me up for not showing up, but I was pretty sure he wouldn't beat me up if he was at church, right? Mm -hmm. So I called him at four o'clock in the morning. I asked him if he's going to church. And he said, yeah. And I said, can I meet you there? He said, sure. And I remember getting to that church and I hadn't showered in probably a week and a half. You know, the last time I showered was the day I was supposed to go to that memorial. And I hadn't had anything. Alcohol was, it was working, but it wasn't working, right? It was, it was making me all right with the present thing, but it wasn't killing those voices and that anxiety in my head, right? <laughs> and, and so I was miserable. I hadn't had anything in my body for a couple of days. And I'm sitting in this church and his family's at one end of the pew and I'm at the other end of the pew. And man, they start singing this song in this church called How Great Thou Art, right? And I, I don't remember. I know this song by heart now, but... Back then, I didn't know. And I, I got caught up in the moment, right? And I'm kind of, my eyes are watering. And then they sang that song, Amazing Grace. They shouldn't sing mm. that for somebody that's in the position I was in, right? <laughs> I remember they started singing. The tears are coming down my face. I look at my uncle. I said, man, I think I have a drinking problem. And I remember the whole church went quiet. My aunt heard me speak. She said the song was over. But he looked at me and says, you think? I have a drug problem, too, if it makes you feel better about yourself. And this is what I heard him say. He said to me, he said, hey, bud. Come over to my house afterwards. You can shower. We'll feed you. We'll wash your clothes. I'll give you $20 and you can figure out how you're going to solve your problems. That's what I heard him say, right? So I went to his house. I took up, gave him my clothes. I got in the shower. And when I came out of the shower, he's standing there with this phone book, which is Google back then, right? He says, hey, he says, hey you're going to go to treatment. And I said, what's treatment? He said, this is no time for negotiations, Jason. Call, look up hospitals and tell me you have a drug problem, an alcohol problem. I said, all right. And I didn't think church, I didn't think treatment centers would be open on Sunday afternoon, right? I just didn't think they worked on Sundays. But I called the first one, Portland Adventist, and they answered on the, like the second ring. I told this lady, hey, my uncle thinks I have a drinking problem. She got all excited. She patched me over to this other place. And, <laughs> and I told this lady I might have a drug problem too, which gave her me more credit. And she said, uh, can you be here tomorrow morning at 8 a.m.? I said, yeah. She said, sweet. We'll do an assessment. If we can't get you into our facility, we'll find some place to put you. I said, great. And I got off the phone and I told my uncle, hey, I got this thing called an assessment tomorrow at 8 a.m. Give me 20 bucks. I'll tell you how it went. And, and he said, no. He said, I had to stay the night at his house, right? That's no good, man. Because he had like, he says it's leather. It's a plastic couch, right? And it had like, <laughs> he has this little dog that licked me all night, right? So the first turn on the couch, the sheets were gone. I'm, I'm sweating from the inside out. This dog's <laughs> licking me all night. It's just miserable, right? I don't know what treatment is. I don't got a clue what I'm getting wrapped up into. I just need to escape. And, you know, the next morning I wake up and he's, my uncle looks at me and says, man, you need to take another shower. And so I went and took a shower. And then when he went to take the shower, I remembered he had a liquor cabinet and really it's not a liquor cabinet. He put his booze on top of the refrigerator, right? I just <laughs> felt better. And I went over there and I got a Coke can. I got some Bacardi 151. I poured it in this Coke can. I started drinking it. And by the time he came out of the shower, I was ready to go to treatment, right? I don't know what treatment is, but I'm all in, baby. And I remember <laughs> we get in his truck and I'm drinking my soda and he looks at me and he says, man, I smell alcohol. I said, it's not me. I'm going to, I'm going to treatment, right? Today I, today I, know, today I know that's just, yeah, you're an idiot, right? They say, I think anybody that goes to treatment should be on everything they could possibly be before they get there. But I made a huge mistake, right? I made a huge mistake. When, when we got to that treatment center, I went to go hide my pop can in the bathroom underneath the garbage bag so nobody would find it and know I was drinking. He went in and he answered yes to something. And I'm in treatment just like that, right? And it's December 29th, 1997. I get in this treatment center and there's some issues with this treatment center. One, there's only four other guys. So there's five of us total. And then what I found out, this is an Adventist treatment center. So they have no caffeine, no sugar, and no women, right? I'm 29 <laughs> years old. Those are, those are a big deal, right? You know what I mean? And I didn't know treatment was something you could just leave. I thought it was like prison. I thought you had to escape, right? So for the next two or three days, I'm looking at the exit sign. I'm looking at the elevator going up and down. I'm just trying to figure out shift changes because I'm breaking out of it. 
right? It's this is miserable, right? And so I, uh, I'm sitting on this couch watching everybody writing stuff down, taking notes, and I hear these guys talking about Alcoholics Anonymous, and I and I bit. I said, "Hey, what's Alcoholics Anonymous?" And this is what got me to AA. They said there's caffeine, there's sugar, and there's women. I was like, "Yeah." I said, well, how do we get, where's it at? They said, the fan's going to pick us up and take us. I said, that's even better. I can escape from there, right? So this fan picks us up, those five guys on a Tuesday night and drives us all the way across town to this place called Alameda. And it's like in Northeast Portland. So it's probably about a 30 minute drive, right? But I need to tell you something. Before this happened, about three years before I ended up in this situation, my dad had called my mom out of the blue to pay back all the back child support he owed. And I hadn't seen him in 27 years, 26 years, right? But I went to this bank to get my half of the money, which I had to pay back because of sponsorship. Because it wasn't my money, it was my mom's money. But when you're young and you're an idiot. But I went there, I said hi to this guy, I got my half of the money and I left. I, didn't, I don't need a dad, I, I, you know, but I, and that was when I was really in my addiction, right? So I leave this thing, I say hi to this guy, and I go do what I got to do. Three years later, I'm in a van going to AA with four other alcoholics or guys in this treatment center. And I remember saying this prayer to a God. I just didn't, you know, this guy, Steve L says it the best way. I, I knew there was a God out there. I just treated him like I owed him money, right? I knew he was there. I just didn't want to run into him, right? And that's how my relationship was with God. Is I would use him when it, you know, when I needed a favor is what they say, right? And so I pray this prayer, God, please don't let me know anybody in AA. And if I do know anybody there, please don't let me owe him money. Right. And I remember we get to this, this AA meeting, we walk in there and sure enough, there's caffeine, there's sugar, and there's some ladies in there. So I'm looking around the room trying to figure out who I'm going to marry to bust me out of this treatment center. Right. <laughs> and I see a gentleman standing in the back. Right. And I tell these guys, man, that looks like my dad. They say, you don't know who your dad is. I said, man, I've seen him one time in 26 years. I was 29 at this time. And, uh, they said, well, you got to go say something. I said, well, whatever. And th- well, there was a break at this meeting, right? It's back in one of those AA meetings, like an hour and a half, and it has a break, right? And so at the break, I walk up to this guy. He's standing with a bunch of other guys. I said, hey, do you know who I am? He said, nope. I said, I think you're my dad. And he said, Jason? I said, yeah. And I met my dad at my very first meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, right? And he hugged me. And he told me, man, he was, he was grateful that I was there. And then if I was willing to do the deal, my life would get better. Thank you, Jason J. Once again, to everybody, we will be having the second part of Jason J's story next week. Oh, and I do want to put a shout out out there. I think I said this on one of the episodes, but I can't, but I'm not sure. Uh, Carol L. Thank you, Carol L. for referring me over to Jason J. I sure do appreciate it. Remember, everybody, we do not want you sharing your gossip, but we would love for you to share that episode with a friend or family member. It may be just what they need today. So pause your little device and click that little share button uh, and send it on over to, um, I don't know, somebody. Friend, family, I don't care. <laughs> or don't, I don't care. Yeah, uh, It's your life. Uh, you have free will. Anyway, now I'm doing a little bit of a listener feedback. Uh, First things first, I want to go ahead and play a voicemail here from Linda Z. Uh, Linda Z, uh, here is the voicemail that she sent in this week. Hi, my name is Linda and I'm an alcoholic. Today I'm celebrating seven years. I had stopped going to meetings and I blew 22 years, but I'm back And I'm very happy. God has blessed me. And I hope that people listening to this podcast will also be blessed. Thank you, Linda Z. Uh, Congratulations on your sobriety birthday. And I'm so glad you left a message with us. All right, everybody. So this is one of those days where the entire familia, you can let her in. The entire familia is here in the house, and so I just wanted to go ahead and give them a little, little love, a little, uh, I don't know, airwave time. And I know that I had talked to you recently about not being able to see my daughter on a consistent basis anymore. She's not there for lunch. She's not there for dinner. She's not there for the whole nine yards. But she is back in the house this weekend. So here's my beautiful daughter. Go ahead and step on up to the mic and say hi. 
Hey, <laughs> Very, I'm back. <laughs> you're back. So, so tell them. So tell them what you do right now. You're up at. You're going to school, and you, what, what kind of a major are you? I'm a fashion merchandising major. Okay, so you're fat, and so and you also talking about you're going to take a trip here pretty soon, yeah, right? Yeah, in the next few years. But yes, I'm going to take a little journey to. Uh, Either Europe or probably probably New York. I'd prefer New York over Europe. And how's school going? School's going good. It's just school. Yeah, well, it costs a lot, so I hope it's going better and good. It's going great, great. <laughs> My grades are great. I am having not as great of a time. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, good. I'm glad you're done. And th- this will be a new voice on the pod here. No one has ever got to meet my well it's not that anybody hasn't ever got to me but she has never had her voice appear actually on the podcast so my mother-in-law is here today so i'm gonna let her step up and say hi hi everybody isn't it cool to be here it's great to be here so where are you from so and she is shorter than so i'm gonna put the mic down here uh i'm not that short well <laughs> how, how tall are you never mind <laughs> There's nothing wrong. I'm short too. But uh, anyway, where are you from? I'm from Baton Rouge. Baton Rouge, Louisiana. You're a big LSU fan, aren't you? Yes, I am. And you like cats a lot too, don't you? I like cats. Yes. And what kind of cat do you have? What kind of cat is that you have? She's a short haired domestic cat, but she's part. Uh, Maine Coon. Part Maine Coon. Maine Coon. Maine Coon. Like the state. And her name is what? Venus. Yeah, that's very cute. All right. Well, listen, thanks for stopping by. We call You're welcome. We call her Mimi. So thanks for yes. coming by, Mimi. She's Mimi to the kids and now Mimi to all of us. And I tried to get uh, the lovely Mrs. M in here, but she is very introverted and would not come in. So you're going to have to just do without that. Nonetheless... A lot of extracurricular activity here today on the pod. Kate writes in, and Kate says, Hi, I'm from Sydney, Australia. Matthew M. put me on to Sober Speak. Thank you so much for your service and the awesome podcast it is. Kate, and big praying hands. Well, Matthew M. and you, Kate, as well, are fantastic. Uh, I got to get Matthew M. back on the pod again. Uh, uh, miss him. Uh, we'll have to get him back on again. Nonetheless, thanks for writing in, Kate. Justin writes in and he says, Hey, John, I live in Roanoke, VA, Virginia. I desperately needed some help last year. At the advice of my doctor, I sought out a therapist. Her words were, I am a professional in addictions, alcohol, food, money, to name a few. I could not control my tears. I needed help with all three. I finally felt like maybe life... uh, like I finally felt like maybe life would get on the right track at the end of the meeting. She assigned me a sponsor who is wonderful. And then she said, quote, there is a meeting tonight that you need to go to. Your sponsor will be there. I will be there too. I am 20 years sober. Very cool. She said, um, all right, Justin says, uh, I was floored. I went from feeling like my life and family were falling apart to having all the help I could ask for at my disposal. Here, here we are 14 months later and sober. I love my life now. Good for you, Justin. I travel a lot for work and I'm self-employed. It's hard for me to keep a regular schedule and regular meetings. I found Sober Speak in my car and I use it as a meeting between meetings. Thank you so much for letting me in the Facebook group. Our pleasure, Mr. Jason, Justin, excuse me. Uh, I need to find my way to your site and make a contribution. <laughs> it's funny when I see people uh, spell out that world, word, excuse me, and claim my shout out. Well, uh, like I always say about the contributions, only if the spirit moves you, uh, it is not necessary at all. But I appreciate, <laughs> I just wanted to read this because I like to see <laughs> how people spell this out. Uh, anyway, thank you for writing in, Justin. 
Jason writes in and uh, he wrote, so I had released a, an episode of Milt L a couple weeks ago and I wasn't sure, I wanted to interview him, I had an old tape of his and uh, Jason wrote in and he says, hi John, I just listened to this week's uh, a podcast featuring a talk by Milt L. I reached out to my buddy Tim P. from... I'm gonna say, the reason I'm pausing there is because his last name is like a uh, nationality as well, but I'll just leave it at that. And I'm trying to figure out if that's his nickname or that is his real name. But nonetheless, from Cleveland to ask him about milk, Tim said that milk had gone to the bit. Tim said that Milt has gone to the big meeting in the sky years ago, just letting you know. Well, thanks for that, Jason. I appreciate you chasing that down for me. And then he says, thanks for all you do. And then Jason says, I have been going through some career challenges myself, so I appreciate you sharing about it. As I mentioned on the front of this, I know I can't be the only one that goes through this. Anyway, it says, I was let go from a job back in June, and I've struggled to find something new. I have always been in sales. Wine, he was selling wine pre-recovery, but I am considering what I can do to be helpful and attempt God's and attempt to do God's will while providing for my family. For now, the lesson seems to be just trust God. Of course, the hardest thing about trusting God is trusting God. <laughs> oh, that's very well put, Jason. Uh, it's a challenge, but I'm getting better. I hope you find your calling too. Love, Jason F. Jason, that's right in my wheelhouse. I'm in sales as well. I have been for many years. And man, I appreciate you putting that that, that out there, brother. And uh, oh, I love the way you put it. Uh, it's the way, like like our, like our uh, uh, friend, I say our friend, like Tom Petty used to say, the waiting is the hardest part. And I, and I loved how you put that. The hardest part about trusting God is trusting God. Ah, love, Jason F. Well, love, Jason F. Right back out to you. Thank you, my friend, for writing in. It's so good to hear from you again. It's always good to hear from you. Guy writes in, G-U-Y. And so, of course, I pause when I say guy and think about how many times in his life has he heard, man, what a great guy you are. Or <laughs> Hopefully it's a great guy. But anyway, he says, my name is Guy E. Guy E. His last... <laughs> this is getting even worse. My name is Guy last initial E, but it was guy E, guy, guy E, guy E, guy E. Anyway, and I live in Sydney, Australia. Well, hello, mate. He says, I came across your podcast on Spotify back in July, and I have found it extremely helpful and great listening during my recovery. I had 80 days of sobriety earlier this year, and I thought I could do it on my own. Only to go out and drink again. Things spiraled very quickly, and it was only a matter of weeks before things had become completely unmanageable in my life once again. I realized that I cannot stay sober on my own. I currently have three days of sobriety and plan to continue attending AA meetings, although I have only been to one meeting so far. I know I need to attend on a regular basis in order to stay sober. By the way, this is something that's weird. I, I may have mentioned that he actually said attend regularly, but I my tongue gets twisted when saying words like regularly or particularly. And I've never been, I'm sure if I went to a speech therapist, they could help me with this. But for whatever reason, uh, I have to change people's words when they say, like when he said, I, that's why I put in there on a regular basis in order to say sober, as opposed to saying regularly. <laughs> I'm so sorry, guy e guy e guy e guy e. Uh, I completely ruined the the vibe of this. But anyway, <laughs> I do want you to attend meetings on a regular basis. I do, and uh, I'm glad you've written in. But he goes on. 
Guy-E, uh, to say, I listened to episode 204 today, Jack W., A High Road to a New Freedom. This resonated with me so much about how he went out again after skipping a few meetings and thinking he could stay sober on his own. He explains how we don't have anything in our, quote, personal arsenal to combat alcoholism, and we need to experience a spiritual awakening that is found in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. This clicked with me. I thought I had things under control one minute, and then I was drinking again the next. Thank you, John, for your service. I love listening to your podcast and the stories from... Uh, the people each episode. My brother is currently in an alcohol detox program, and I shared your podcast with him. I have not spoken with him yet, but I hope that he finds Sober Speak as helpful as I have. Many thanks, Guy. Thank you for writing in, Guy. I appreciate you putting up with my nonsense as I actually read through your letter. Well, it's not a letter, you know, email. email, electronic letter, however you want to put that. All right, everybody, that is Uno Mas episode of, uh, what is this, Sober Speak speak in the books. Uh, Keep coming back. It works if you work it. Uh, And may God bless you and keep you until then. I take this one week at a time. I hope to be back next week. I've been back for a few weeks in a row now, so uh, the chances are decent, but one never knows. I could be called to that big meeting in the sky or just decide to retire. Well, not retire from, you know, like, like live or retire from making the podcast, but I don't feel that coming on anytime soon. Uh, You guys uh, help me stay sane, and I appreciate you. Love everybody. Bye-bye.